Before we start, I wanted to let you know about a few events and campaigns taking place this fall at Diabetes Canada. This November, we're bringing people who live with type 1 and type 2 diabetes and their caregivers together for Diabetes Canada Connect, a free week-long virtual diabetes education and community event aimed at fostering meaningful connections and learning. Learn more and register in the show notes. We're also doing an event for our healthcare professionals. The Diabetes Canada CSEM professional programming will be held at Vascular 2023 from October 25th to 29th at the Palais des Congrès de Montréal. Six host organizations, one fee, thousands of chances to share insights in vascular health with leaders in the field, colleagues, and peers from Canada and around the world. Register today at vascular2023.ca. Exercise is important for people with type 2 diabetes, and you don't have to run a marathon or hit the gym daily to get great results. I'm Krista Lamb, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Mary Jung about her research on how small changes in physical activity levels can have big impact. Dr. Jung is an associate professor in the School of Health and Exercise Sciences at the University of British Columbia's Okanagan campus. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jung. It is so nice to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. And I will give you a chance to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and what your area of research is. Sure. My name is Dr. Mary Jung, and I'm at the University of British Columbia on the Okanagan campus, which is residing on the Seal Okanagan Nation. And my area of research is really focused on individuals who are at higher risk of type 2 diabetes, as well as those with type 2 diabetes. And so what we do in my research lab is develop diabetes prevention programs targeting diet and exercise behavior and work with individuals that, like I said, who are at higher risk or are experiencing type 2 diabetes and just support them in ways that we know are evidence-based and effective so that they can reduce that risk and maybe even stave off, prevent progression of type 2 diabetes. And I've had the pleasure of speaking to you before about the work that you do. And one of the things I love is that I think sometimes when people are talking about exercise, they start to get really stressed that like they're going to have to hit the gym and they're going to have to do something really strenuous. They don't have time or they're really nervous about it, but you make it very easy. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you actually think is important when it comes to exercise. Sure. I agree with you. We can catastrophize perhaps about somebody coming in and and saying you have to, you know, go run a marathon tomorrow and and that even overlaps into into diet as well. I think sometimes we can think that this means a huge overhaul in our whole diet and it really doesn't. It means making small changes consistently to have a really powerful effect on some of those clinical outcomes that we know are important for people's health. That's literally why we, we called our diabetes prevention program Small Steps for Big Changes. It's, it's about those small steps and it's strategic. It's focused uh, that way, planned that way to enhance motivation, increase people's confidence and their abilities to make these changes. And we know that when we do make change in small, consistent manners, 
we're more likely to adhere. We're more likely to stick to those changes that we've made. And at the end of the day, that really is what's most important. So definitely not scary at all. Really just looking at, hey, maybe we're going to go for a walk today, or maybe we're going to do something that is a small step that you might not have taken yesterday. That's right. And for many people, it's adding to what they're already doing. They're doing a great job where they are. But like I said, just may perhaps are open to a little bit more support or need to take the next level or something like that. So for example, several million Canadians have dogs and walk their dogs on a regular basis. So, you know, saying to them, oh, just walk around the block. They already do that yet they still have or are at high risk for type 2 diabetes, for example. They have prediabetes. We say, you know what, do you enjoy that? Can we start there? Let's work with the dog walking that you know you already do. You're already awesome at it. And we're just going to make some revisions to that dog walk. So it's both enjoyable, stays enjoyable, and is improving your health at the same time. I love that example. One of our most popular episodes of the podcast was when we had Dr. Caroline Kramer on to talk about what a good boy, <laughs> her uh, research study on how dog ownership can help improve your overall health. And it was such a wonderful reminder that sometimes just a simple act of taking your dog out a few times a day, even if you take it a little bit further this time and you spend a little bit more time playing in the park, that this is a really wonderful way that you can increase your physical activity. So amazing. And you are speaking coming up at Vascular 2023, which is Diabetes Canada's conference this year. We're having a bit of a mixed conference, so we're going to be joining with a number of groups. And you are one of the speakers, and I really wanted to give the listeners a sneak peek because we're very hopeful that some people will join us in October. It's a wonderful conference for healthcare providers. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be speaking about? Sure. Yes. A sneak preview. This is going to be a really fantastic conference. It's jam-packed with content. I have the privilege of, I think, speaking at one of the first days on supporting exercise and behavior change in individuals at risk and living with type 2 diabetes. And what I'm talking about is what are some of those tangible key action steps we can take when working with our clients, with our patients. So this is more of a symposium um, targeting the clinical practitioners who, you know, for example, diabetes educators, registered dietitians, etc., who their clients maybe have come to them and are seeking assistance. And how can we work with them in a really respectful way in such a short time frame that you have within one visit to promote and support, like I said, diet and exercise? And to get a, in a little bit more detail of some of those tangible skills, we know that goal setting, goal planning, and self-monitoring are some really pivotal pieces that we need to make them work to ensure adherence to behavior change. Sometimes when we give such advice, it can come off <laughs> as a little bit authoritative. So what my lab specializes in is teaching people how to converse that goal setting and that goal planning and self-monitoring in a way that the client walks away from that transaction being like, I drove that meeting. I set the goals. I did the work. This is me and my plan rather than it coming out as a dictative kind of, oh, well, you know, well, they said I just have to do X, Y, and Z. When it comes off in that dictative manner, it's, it's much less likely to be adhered to. 
So the tangible tips we'll be talking about in the conference are how to engage in that respectful conversation in a way that client walks away empowered. Yeah, I think that's going to be such an important discussion. And I think healthcare providers can really benefit from this. I know many times I have heard that someone went in to see their healthcare provider, they were interested, or they were told that, you know, needed to get the weight down a little bit. And the healthcare provider was like, oh, come back when you've lost the weight. <laughs> and the person walked away going, yeah. okay, how do I do that? So yeah, where do I start? Yeah. Exactly. So is there any advice that you would give to healthcare providers who might be listening about where they can start so that they don't end up having that conversation? It's not super helpful. Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing is asking the client or the patient. So avoiding assumptions about that they don't know or that they've tried it a million times before and it's just not going to work. You know, making that first conversation of where do you think you should start? I think that's a beautiful way to begin. And I know I can hear in the background, probably, <laughs> perhaps some healthcare providers thinking there's no way I have time for that. The really interesting part about this behavioral counseling research is we've shown that it actually significantly reduces the amount of time that we converse with somebody when we start with opening the door for the client or the patient to share with us what they already know. And so refraining from many assumptions and asking, where can we start? You've been told to lose weight. Where do you think a good place to, to begin would be? Amazingly, even in that moment, if they haven't thought about it before, people will, will know. They'll know, well, don't touch my jube jubes. Don't touch the cream in my coffee. But I'm willing to X. Perfect. What a great place to start. <laughs> you know, let's set a goal around that. What do you think would be realistic for reducing, I don't know, whatever it is? And the same goes for physical activity. And I guess the other piece that I would recommend is where behavior change is so challenging. And I bet every healthcare provider has personally experienced this themselves. And so bringing that common humanity perspective to the conversation, maybe not tackling increasing physical activity and changing your diet and not smoking and increasing your sleep. And when we open phrase it as where would you like to start? This also gives us that permission to go, you know what, we're just targeting whatever behavior they said. <laughs> and then we can in a follow up add to that if they're feeling really good about changes they've made, then we start adding on another layer. And I think that's really great advice. And I wanted to ask you too about people who may be wanting to ask their healthcare provider about this but they might not know how. And when you have that quick meeting or that quick appointment with your physician, they might be very much like, okay, we got to deal with this. How can you bring it up that you would like support with this? And what kind of way would you start that conversation? That's a great question. And I hope people do because their health is so important. It should be the forefront of what they want to change, what they want to discuss should be the leading piece of the conversation. Now, I know this is different in different provinces. One option would be to ask, is there resources, is there support available? Some provinces in Canada do have, you know, the beautiful opportunity to work with a kinesiologist or a behavior change counselor or even registered dietitian, etc. And so just asking that physician for a referral might be a great place to start. If there's comfort within the, the physician relationship they have and no resources are available and you want to directly ask that physician, asking about, here's what I've been thinking of doing. 
if somebody is so motivated to have this conversation, starting off with telling what you have been doing and then asking for advice or opinions or what's the next step would be a great idea too. And I think that's wonderful advice. A question now, a lot of people, and we've been asked a lot about this on the show, are looking at medications now for losing weight. And I think that for some people, that's a perfectly reasonable and acceptable option. For some people, that might be the best option. So when they decide to make that choice, though, they should not just give up on exercise. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be, you know, wanting to be fit and active. So do you have any advice for people that may be deciding to use some of these new therapies to support their type 2 diabetes, but also want to continue to be active and fit? Right. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is, for example, weight loss was the goal of beginning a certain medication and that weight loss does occur, then you can see the motivation for exercise, perhaps having waited, perhaps <laughs> just remembering that the, the side effects of exercise are so multiple and they're all beneficial side effects. So we know that, you know, experiencing and living with diabetes also comes along with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And we want to be exercising for all of those other good pieces as well as, of course, helping keep our pancreas happy too and, and all bits and parts of our body and our mental health as well. Just like you said, it's, it's just so important to do both as well as, of course, the same goes with continuing that healthy diet that I'm sure people are following, right? We can think about it because of all the beneficial side effects, but also to help the drugs work better. They will be combined to have a better impact. I think it's really exciting that we have so many options. And that's why I think it's really important to remind people that we have so many options and that there are ways that you can feel better depending on what works best for you and your body and your life and the barriers that you, you face. So I think this is really great. And I wanted to ask you, because this is another question we get a lot from people who listen to the show. They say, you know, you, you're always talking about walking and you're always talking about doing, you know, like, you know, starting small. Are there exercises that we don't talk about that much that people might consider? Because if you hate walking, you're not going to go. If you hate some of these things. Absolutely. What are some of the other sort of starter exercises people could try? Yeah, I think we want to remember that, unfortunately, here where I live, some days the air quality is not a good place to be. So that means staying safe and staying indoors. And so that can be things like yoga. It can be about stretching at your desk or your chair. It can be about, you know, watching a 10 minute online free exercise clip so that those types of activities can be done safely and, and are good starter points. And those don't have to be cardiovascular basic. It doesn't mean walking in one spot in your living room. There's some really great resistance training exercises that can be done. Like I said, yoga or Pilates type activities all of these, there's no wrong with exercise. That's the beauty of it. If you are doing a piece forward and moving your body, you're doing it right. Another piece that um, I think we, we forget is that activities of daily living also count, right? If you're gardening, that counts. If you want to paint a room in your house, that can count too. So yeah, just all of those would be great starter points. Or like we said, if it's the dog walker who wants to take it up a notch, dog walker begins gardening, you know, and that kind of thing. They all add up. 
Yeah, as someone who spent a lot of time gardening over the last few years when I really didn't have a lot of other things I could do, I was like, wow, this is a workout some days. You, you know, it's pretty amazing the things that you can do. Yes, seriously. And so as we start to wrap up, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your research because you have a lot of research projects that are going on and they're related to health and exercise. But are there any projects that you're really excited about right now? It's so funny because I was just thinking to my, my own the, this past weekend. And so, yeah, thanks for asking. We're really passionate about supporting those who have traditionally not had much service. And so when we talk about equity owed, equity deserving groups, we're, we're thinking about segments of our population who maybe don't have access to continuous health care provision or programs like diabetes prevention programs, or maybe they technically live within that radius, but they don't have transportation to it. So a lot of our projects in the last three years have transitioned into more really focusing on equity-deserved groups. One of them I'm so excited that we're doing is with the Kelowna Central Okanagan Food Bank here in British Columbia. And I also have the opportunity and privilege I've been volunteering with them for three years. And we're speaking with people who are such hard workers and the food provided, it's difficult to bring together healthy meals each and every time on such a limited budget. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to develop a diabetes prevention program that's specific to the needs of people who access the food bank. And then we're doing some work as well and driving a program that's specific to the needs of new immigrants to Canada. So these kind of uh, intersect at times as well. So that's great. But as an aside, Volunteering is another great place to increase your physical activity. I, I'm so exhausted after a volunteership, just moving, lifting up and boxes down. And uh, it's another great way if people are like, I'm not an exerciser. Perhaps that's another way <laughs> to, that you might engage in physical activity. Yeah, and it's also really important to give back to your community. And you feel so good when you give back to your community when you're doing something that actually is really important and helpful. And I, I want to go back because you mentioned that these are, you know, equity communities who have been underserved. And that's something that we've talked about a lot on the show, that many of the type 2 diabetes strategies for prevention are often really easy if you have the privilege of being able to do them. So it's so important that you're doing this and reminding people that not everybody has access to healthy foods. Not everyone has access to a gym membership. Not everyone can do that's right. all of the things that, you know, we would like to do. So what are some pieces of advice you could give to healthcare providers who might be listening, who might not have thought about the fact that the person that they're sending off to do more exercise, what are some of the things that they should consider about that person's circumstances? I think you said it right there perfectly, Krista. It's two biggest things are um, not making assumptions about access to healthy food and access to physical activity programming. And so there's been, you know, some research around what that might look like in a physician to patient conversation. And I think it would go again with the first question being, yeah, do you have access to healthy foods? And so by stating it in that manner, you're not, that person may not feel super vulnerable. It's not, do you have a job or not? Do you choose to eat this type of food versus this type of food? It's just, what's the access look like, you know? And then we can work towards assisting with providing, for example, resources to how they can access foods that are in their community. And then same thing with access to physical activity, because yes, everyone can have access to wheeling or 
walking outside in the community. But if you live in an unsafe community, that really isn't an option if you don't feel safe exercising in your community. So that's where if they say no, then perhaps that physician has a referral system to a gym that they can provide free of charge. Or perhaps there's another type of activity that that physician may know about. Yeah, really, really important. And I think more and more, this is something that I hope that we'll be having these conversations. So I can't wait to keep hearing more about this research as you're working on it. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. This has flown by because it's such a great conversation. And I think that we'll leave some resources in the show notes about things to do with your programs and the wonderful things that you have going on. And for anyone listening who wants to attend the conference, we will also include a link that is the professional conference, which is happening this year in Montreal. It is called Vascular 2023. And we have a wonderful range of people who will be speaking about diabetes, heart health, and it is perfect for any healthcare provider, whether you are a physician, a scientist, a dietitian, anyone. So I will send more information in the show notes. So thank you so much, Dr. Jung, for being here today and chatting with me about this. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Krista. Thanks so much to Dr. Jung for joining us today. If you liked today's show, please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really does help others find the show. If you'd like more information on this topic or others related to diabetes, visit diabetes.ca or contact Diabetes Canada at info at diabetes.ca. You can also find us on social media on all the platforms at Diabetes Canada. Thanks for listening.